You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. As you know, we've been talking about worship, right? And if you were not here last week, I just got to give you a quick little recap. We were, we introduced the idea of talking about worship, specifically Sunday morning together corporate worship, uh, singing as a body of believers together. And we, I talked about last week that it's not that we're saying this is the only way you can worship. We're saying that oftentimes what happens is um, there are so many different ways you can worship God and the church kind of, kind of doesn't want to put worship in a box. And so we may not talk enough about worship as a part of Sunday and as a part of our gatherings as a church community. And so for that reason, we wanted to zero in and for a couple of weeks really specifically talk about Sunday morning worship again. Not saying those other ways to worship are not worship. We just really want to talk about Sunday morning. And so we talked a little bit about um, why we sing, and we talked about preparation, what it looks like to get ready for worship. So if you missed last week, you can listen to it online. Uh, There's the link for it. It's going to be up on the screens. Um, Pretty simple and straightforward. Coincidentally, that's also the link for all of the Pullman sermons. So if you ever miss one, that's where you find them. Okay? You guys good with that? Thank you. Um, so as we get started this morning, we're going to dive in and talk about why do we gather together uh, for worship? Why do we get together as a body of believers, as a family for uh, worship together? And why do we sing together? And we're also going to talk about some of the things that come up when we get together and worship together. Like what are some of the components of us worshiping together as a family? Now, the thing is, when we start talking about worship at church and like coming to church to worship, one of the things that we often hear is like, well, why do I have to go to church for worship? Like, can I do that out in the woods? Can I do that on my own or in my car? And to me, when I hear that question, I kind of think of it like people in Pullman would, would hear it this way. If you're a, a, tr- a tried and true Coog fan, it would sound something like this, like somebody saying to you, why do I have to go to Martin Stadium to go to a game? Like, why can't I just sit home and watch it on my couch? And you'd be like, because it's not the same, right? It's not the same. My wife and I got to go to a, our first Coug game this year. We showed up in town, a great year to show up and become a bandwagon Coug fan. I mean, I'll admit it, like, I was new to the Cougs, now a diehard fan, right? Why? It was a great year to be a fan. They were, they were awesome. It was fun to watch. Our one game we got to go to this year was the USC game, which, I mean, hello, Right? Like, if you're going to go to any football game ever in your life, no matter what team, that was the game to go to. And could we have watched it at home? Yeah, we could have watched it at home. But instead, we became friends with 50 people that were an arm's length around us in every direction, like best of friends. And we celebrated together, and we had near cries together, and shock, and awe. And then at the end, there was like the deafening sound of the screams of the wind, and the the crowd rushing the field. Like, something happened there that no one at home experienced. Experienced. And you couldn't explain it to him if you tried. That's for us what church should be like. Coming together as a, a, a body of believers, as a family on Sunday morning, we worship together and we experience something. We experience God in unique ways that we wouldn't experience on our own. And it's the kind of thing where you, you almost have to say to somebody, I, it's hard to explain, you just have to come with me. The writer of Hebrews had this to say about it. 
He said, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like, we're not supposed to take for granted the fact that we're supposed to get together as a family and worship together. And when we do, we spur each other on towards God and towards his things. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. We edify and and help each other like we talked about last week. It's important that we get together and we don't take for granted the opportunity that we have each and every week to gather together and, and, and to worship together. Now, when we do get together and worship together, there's some different components. There's kind of some pieces that play out. And Chris is going to kind of break them down for us a little bit. So maybe for some people this will be real familiar. For other people, some of these things will be new. So let's talk a little bit about what those components look like. Yeah, so there's three major components that we want to kind of break down. The first is just what Thad talked about and set up for us last week of seeing out loud. He uh, gave scripture that, that accounts for all of creation singing out praises to God, right? So we get to actually participate and be a part of that. So we actually wanted to specifically pull out some scripture. And if you have your notes, the first one is in Ezra 3 that shows God's gathered people in assemblies. So, so not like he said, Thad said, out in the woods or just kind of doing your thing off on your own. But when God's people come together, what worship look like? The first one is a really powerful example. It's from Ezra. And it's when the Jewish people are coming home to Jerusalem from the Babylonian exile. They get to come home. And not only do they get to come home to, to their town and their homeland, but they get to rebuild their temple to, to our God. So they are absolutely ecstatic. They are pumped. They are super excited for what God is doing. And this is how they respond. It says, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I love that it was a natural response. Nobody had to say, hey, maybe you should, maybe you should worship because God's doing something here. There was no dimming the lights and creating a mood or anything. They knew that God was working in a mighty and powerful way. So they said, man, I'm going to sing out his praises to him. It was natural. It was, they were ready for it. They were ready to engage in it. Another one we see is in 2 Chronicles 29, 28. It says, the whole assembly worshiped and the singer sang and the trumpeter sounded. I wish we had a trumpet player. I'm not going to lie. Trumpet sounds just powerful. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. One of my favorite examples, it's not in your notes, but it's from Exodus 15, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they had finally been freed of, of the bondage and the slavery that, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had them in. And they crossed the Red Sea and they're still being pursued by Pharaoh, whose heart is just hardened. And, and Pharaoh's wiped out and they come and they cross the Red Sea finally. And it, man, there's accounts that say that there could have been up to 2 million people, men, women, and children, 2 million people crossing the Red Sea. So as soon as they get through and God triumphs and God gives them victory, what's the first thing they do on the other side? What is it? They worship, they sing praise to God. This is what they say. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is, is his name. Man, that last line, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. That makes me want to bust out like a tambourine and just start going right, right here. You know what I'm saying? Man, that's a powerful song. I wish I could have been there and heard two million people seeing that. Seeing praise to God as an immediate response. Not a, hey, maybe we should write a song because God did something. No, it was like, man, we're going to sing to God. Look at what he just did. 
I would challenge and encourage you when we have times when we're gathered together, sometimes we hesitate or we say, well, that was neat. Like, I see that in scripture, but I don't know how I would do that. When we're gathered together and you have moments where you know God's speaking something to your heart and there's a pause in the music or, or just in general, if, if you need to shout that out to God, if you're going to write a song as we're singing to, that's awesome. That's exactly what they did, right? They didn't have those songs written out and like, as soon as we get across the Red Sea, we're going to sing this to God. No, they sang it out responsively. When we have an instrumental part, I'm just saying that like the music part of stuff, uh, we like to break it down sometimes as much as we can. When we play an instrumental, it's not so anyone up here can, can have any glory time or like, go for it, play a keyboard solo, woo. No, it, it's time. It's time that we hopefully can all reflect and just sit and, and remember what it is that our God has done for us. And if you want to sing out praise in that time, do it. That's what that space is for. Whether it's a slow song or a loud song, whatever it is, that space is so we can all pro proclaim the victory of our Lord and Savior and what he's done in our lives. So please do that. Do that in those times. I gotta figure out where I'm in here. I'm getting all excited and getting all... <laughs> There's a piece of this that I love where in all these examples with God's gathered people gathering together corporately, the two million people in Israel, I don't know how many um, children were a part of that, but I guarantee you it was a ton. And there's a generational component that I'd really like to challenge everybody in this room this, with that we need to understand the power for ourselves of what happens when we gather together and we worship God, but also for everyone around us. And especially if you have kids for the next generation and the next generation, and our grandkids, grandkids, grandkids would know the power and might of our Lord and Savior because we're gathered here and we're singing out his praise, amen? amen? I had a vivid example of this in my life when my oldest daughter, she's eight, and when she was about three, a little less than three, she, uh, she would love to sing along songs with us, and she heard a song on the radio, and, and uh, well, she heard a lot of songs, but, but one night we were sitting downstairs in our basement, and my wife and I had the baby monitor set up, and our daughter started singing this little tune, she thought, like, oh, it's so cute, what is she singing? So we went over, and we wanted to hear what it is that she was singing, and I got up and put my head to the monitor because we didn't hear very well, and she was singing a song from CeeLo Green that was really popular at the time called Forget You. And our little sweet, innocent, the, the sweetest thing I have in a relationship with my daughter is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. And this sweet little girl is singing, change in my pocket wasn't enough, forget you. <laughs> and yes, we laughed. But then there's something that for me as the leader of my home and as a father who loves that girl and would do anything for her, it broke my heart to think that that's the song that's on her lips. So I'd encourage you, man, don't, don't underestimate the power of what's caught with our kids and with everybody around us. And when you listen to worship music, when you have it on the radio, when you have it playing at home, it's made a radical difference in our home. And I see it in my daughters. When we went to Ovations a few weeks ago, which was our big gathering to just thank you, say thank you to all the volunteers and everybody here at the church, my daughters were about 10 rows back and they were standing on their chairs with their hands raised singing, good, good father. That's what I want. That's the legacy that I want to hand down. It's super important to know that this is a part of, of what we pass down is the generational effect too. Number two on the ways that we can respond is bowing down. There's a few different words in the Hebrew for what it means to actually bow. One is kadad, and the other is kara. And they're verbs, they're action words. 
And there isn't in the, in the, you know, the Hebrew, like a, a different meaning. Like sometimes if you look at it versus English and the transliteration, the, the words might mean something different. This one literally just means to bow. It means to bow before God, to bow on our heads. So some of you, th- this might be an unfamiliar concept. And for this space right here, you're like, man, I feel like God might want me to bow down before him, but I don't even know how to do that. You could go to the side. You can go in the back. If you can find room to do it right where you're at. Again, this is not us giving you permission to do something. This is us talking about the biblical precedence that's set for us to bow before an almighty holy God. In Genesis 24, 26, it says, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. In Exodus 4, 31, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Exodus 34, 8 says, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Several more examples from scripture are, are there all over the place. That's three. You have a bunch more in, in your notes even. There's a ton of them out there of bowing in reverence to an almighty holy God. The third one that we want to talk about is the raising of hands. And we've talked about it a little bit. And what does this mean? And is there any significance or importance in this? And there's a really powerful story from Exodus 17. If you have your Bible with you or your app or are just following along the notes, I'd love to read this. It says, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and then he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And this is where, just after that, we get the actual name of God, Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. So that's such an amazing, powerful picture of not just God, Moses physically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand. And that's, uh, no, it, it was a spiritual event that's happening right there. He's raising his hands in submission to an almighty, all-powerful, holy God saying, Lord, this is what you have for me. This is what you want me to do. And I have faith. And as he submitted and as he did that, the Israelites moved forward and they took and, and they gained victory. Amen? That's a powerful picture. It's the same for us. We, we have this way of, of separating ourselves from the word sometimes saying, that's great for Moses. Like, that's really cool that he did that. What do you think it looks like when we're doing the same thing here in this place? We're raising our hands saying, God, you are almighty and all holy and all, and all powerful. And we submit to you and we trust you. In Hebrews 11, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. This is showing, man, I have faith in you, God. I have faith in your plan. I trust you. I love you. I know what you have for me is good, even when it's hard. And when you talk about the hardships and, and what that would look like, there's going to be a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different things that keep you or, or again, would try to pull you away from being able to be comfortable or, or maybe even uncomfortable in doing these things and raising hands and singing out loud and bowing down. And there's definitely more. Those are just the ones we wanted to cover. But man, there's things that come against that. And Thad's going to talk more about what it looks like to overcome those things that get in our way. Yeah. Um, Probably the first thing is just like, what if you're not expressive that way? You know, like what if you're not the jump up and down at the football game kind of person? Like even if your team wins, you're like, yes. And that's like as crazy as you get, right? I, I can relate. I'm kind of that way. I'm a little bit not like over the top, crazy out loud. My wife, on the other hand, the entire universe knew that the Eagles won, right? Like, we're different. 
So some of it's our personality. Some of it's kind of how we're made. And at the very least, all of us can sing. And we talked about it last week. It doesn't matter how bad your voice is. Um, It's not a singing contest. But all of us can sing and lift our voice up to the Lord. And we also talked about the interpretation of the word praise, and that sometimes it's interpreted as like crazy or insane. And, and it, it may very well be that the thing that, that the Holy Spirit is kind of prompting you to do may be the thing that makes you personally feel crazy or insane. Like, for, for me, like jumping up and down, raising my hands, I feel like a fish out of water. That's not my natural like go-to thing, even at a sporting event or something. So like that might be the thing that God's calling me to do is, and, and to meet me there in worship. And the very same thing with all of us. Like, so to be sensitive to, to the Spirit's leading and to God's prompting in your life. And the reality is we got to be able to be okay as a church living in a little bit of a tension here that some people are going to be more free and more comfortable in worship than others. Some people are going to be really comfortable raising their hands, shouting out uh, amen, singing out loud a chorus when they're in an instrumental part, and just pouring out of the, their heart, just worship to God. And the other people who are more um, reserved or just naturally more quiet or shy, maybe, that, that may not be normal for them. And so the tension we live in is that for those that feel more free and more comfortable, to be kind of aware of your surroundings, it's like, it's the fine line of, you you know, honor God and, and, and be transparent with him and, and worship and, and listen to the Spirit's leading, um, but also be aware of your surroundings, right? Like that's one of the reasons why in 101 class we talk about the gift of tongues because oftentimes uh, in past places the gift of tongues is practiced um, inappropriately and not according to scripture and in a public setting like this it can be a real distraction and a deterrent to people around you and so what someone thinks is them really being free sometimes you can be too free in your public worship corporately as a family. And so we want to be aware of the people around us. And for other people that are on the more conservative side, to remember like when you see somebody lifting your hands or shouting out or being really expressive, to not get out of your lane with you and God worshiping and not get hung up on what they're doing and not like starting to think things about them or you know judge their character or something because of how they responded in a song. Like that's you getting offline. Right? So to create an environment where we have freedom to be responsive to the Lord, to worship God together, to practice some of these ways of expressing God that that God's people have done throughout Scripture. They're not like us giving you the prescription of here's 10 ways to be more worshipy at church. Like it has nothing to do with that. It's here's ways people have responded to God in worship throughout history. And we want to be a place that's open and... uh, cool with you guys worshiping God if it means bowing down, if it means raising your hands, if it means singing out loud. The truth is, though, there's more than just your personality, right? There's other things that kind of hinder sometimes our worship, and sometimes it's your church background or your upbringing or where kind of what you were taught growing up. And for some people, the church experience they had maybe growing up or even as adults has a huge impact on whether or not they can worship God together with other people. Like I know of people in our church that had been a part of another church that actually told them that you weren't supposed to sing. 
that you're only supposed to read the word. Like, like worship was reading the Bible. And, and if, if you're singing, you're actually wrong. And to come from that teaching and to come from that and to come into uh, an environment where they're learning about what worship is and what God's word teaches about worship, for them to stand and sing, they, they had to go through a season of working through that. And for different people, they have different church backgrounds and different experiences. Lanny and I, when we first got married, the, uh, randomly by a serious random selection, uh, we went to a church of Christ. I had no church experience growing up. I didn't know what any church was or any of that stuff. We went to a church of Christ and it was non-instrumental. And through the course of kind of cutting our teeth and our faith and digging into the word and learning and stuff, I started to ask questions like there's, there's instruments in scripture. Why don't we have instruments here? Like, I mean, I guess it's fine if we don't, but I'm just curious, like, why don't we? And it was presented to me that it was basically sin and that God would remove his blessing from the church if there was any kind of instrument there. And it was like, man, this doesn't seem right. And they would take it a step further. Like you couldn't even have a, a, a woman on the stage ever. And you couldn't have a woman's voice, even from the audience, come out first in the song. Because then it would be a woman leading worship. Even if it was just a participant. And I was like, this is ridiculous. We're off track, right? But people come from different backgrounds and have been taught different things. And so we want this to be a place where we want to present to you what God's word says about worship. And we want to worship God the way God's people have worshiped him throughout history. And we want to be a place where if you've got questions about that or you're not sure about that, that we're open to come and talk with. Chris and Harmony would love to visit with anybody. My wife and I would visit with anybody. Aaron would visit with anybody. Like, we are approachable, open, up for having conversations with people because we care about working through this stuff with people. Sometimes there's more than just your church background or your personality. Sometimes there's like really, really hard stuff going on in your life. Sometimes you're experiencing like the loss of a loved one or some tragic news about health stuff in your family or marriage stuff that's just, you're ready to kill each other. The last thing you want to do is go to church, much less worship when you get here. And sometimes like, it's not about preparation. It's not about whether or not you raise your hands or don't raise your hands or if you're a quiet person or a loud person. You just really don't feel like worshiping God at all. And that's real stuff. And if you're human, you've been there. If you haven't, you're like nine. You'll be there. <laughs> Trust me. Chris is going to talk with us a little bit about what do we do when we don't feel like worshiping. I think one of the most important parts, like we talked about last weekend with preparation, when we don't feel like worshiping. I've been a part of thousands of church services over the years, and there's more times than I can even count that, that I didn't feel like even getting out of bed, honestly that I was struggling with it. Anybody else with me? Has anyone ever yeah, struggled to get to church, much less like I'm in church now, but I'm struggling, I'm hurting? I don't know how to worship you, God. I don't even know how to open my mouth and say anything that, that would be honoring to you. I understand that. And, and I, what I want to challenge you with in the preparation piece like I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit, again, is within us. When we know that, 
When we know that, then that's, that's again, 90% of the battle right there. Then it's not, man, I have to go to church and I have to try, try to do this thing that I don't know. Let the spirit actually speak to you in that moment. Let him comfort you if you're really hurting. Let him guide you. Let him convict you if, you're, if a sin or something that's keeping you from God is the problem. Let him do the heavy lifting. When we gather here, it's, it's a guarantee and a promise always. Like, like the Holy Spirit, we all should be looking for the Holy Spirit to be leading worship when we're here. You can call Tom or Harm or I or a lot of other people the worship leader. He's the worship leader. He will always be the worship leader. He leads and we follow. Not just us up here, everybody, all of us are following his lead. And throughout scripture, the Bible's no stranger to tough times. The Psalms, if you read the Psalms, people love the Psalms. They're like, they're so beautiful. They're so poetic. And, and David just cried. Most of the, 70% of the Psalms are laments. They're not, man, look how great my life is. Everything's going wonderful right now. They're crying out to God saying, God, why? Why do I feel this way? Why am I being attacked? Why do I hurt? Why is this person wrong me? Why do I struggle? 70% of just the Psalms. We see it all in a ton of other places throughout scripture. If you know the life of David and what he went through and David and Bathsheba and that story and sending out Uriah and then they, they have a, a kid later on, but, but he actually loses this child. I could not imagine what it would be like to lose one of my girls. I pray that I never have to endure that. Maybe someone in here has endured that. And man, I hope that you find rest and assurance in, in what God says in his word. In 2 Samuel, it says, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. If David hadn't worshipped in that moment, I don't even know what the rest of his life would have looked like. It would have been a train wreck probably. Because I can't imagine being in that and not choosing to say, God, you're still bigger than this moment. Most of us know the story of Job. And after losing his wealth and his children, this is his response. In Job 1.20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. One of the most amazing parts of the story of Job, we always lock into, man, yeah, Job's about you know, getting through his trial and struggle, and, and he ended up good. The most amazing part of that is his connection with God at the end of all that. God himself comes to Job and explains creation and how he did what he did. Man, would any of you love for God literally to come and be like, let me talk to you about everything that I did in the creation? That's amazing. That was his connection to God because he worshiped his way through the hardest thing that he had ever endured in his life. He chose to say, God, I'm going to worship you in spite of what's happening. We see it again in Noah. Noah goes through what he did and the entire earth is wiped out. It's just him and his family on a boat with a bunch of stinky animals and they're there forever and it's loud. I can only imagine what that environment was like and they finally land and he gets off the boat and Noah doesn't say, oh, thank goodness, I'm finally done with that. He gets on his face and he worships God. He had just been through the hardest thing that, that any, maybe anyone has ever endured in the history of the world to have, see everyone gone, and he worships God. 
This was something I was talking about with Tom the other day. I thought was really powerful. When we worship God through our trials and struggles, when we worship him through our pain and abuse and, and anxiety or depression or, or loss in the family or whatever it is, when we worship our God through that, that's a unique form of worship in all of eternity. When we're with him in heaven someday, we won't worship him that way because we'll be made whole and be made right again. And we don't have jacked up bodies that are falling apart and we're getting out of bed. Oh gosh, I got all these aches and pains and stuff. I'm getting old. It's sad. That was actually Thad that said that. He, he's, <laughs> we get to worship God in a unique way by worshiping through our trials and our struggles on this side of heaven. Amen? It's powerful. So I'd encourage you, when you're struggling, like we all will, to get out of bed to say, man, I don't, I don't want to go. I'm having a hard time even wanting to be with people or see anybody or anything else. That We need to stop asking ourselves and saying, man, I would go to church, but this is happening. Or I'm struggling, I'm hurting. We need to say, I have to go to church. I have to be with God's people because this is going on. Because I don't want to be wrecked, I want to be made new and, and what's broken to be made whole again. I love songs like Broken Hallelujah or Sweetly Broken because they talk about, man, when we're hurting and we're down, our God is big enough to put us back together and to push us back on, to stand us on our feet and push us forward. It's powerful. I want to share with you something that's hard for me, a part of my story. We talked a little bit about my younger story in younger days last week. And um, when, I, when I was 24, uh, actually, I got, I got married to my wife, Harmony, and she was about 19. And I want to preface this with, uh, this is something that we want to be transparent with and open, and God has done amazing, miraculous things through and in our marriage, and we're so grateful for what he's done. And my wife is sitting back there and would have no problem talking to you about any portion of this. This isn't about pointing fingers or saying what was wrong. But we, from day one in our marriage, stepped into an absolutely just broken train wreck. And you'll have to excuse me as I try to get through this. The day that we got back from our honeymoon, my wife was already wondering if the commitment she just made to me was the right one. Because she had this idea of, of you know, fairy tale and, and, and a lot of different things. And what she realized and learned from me is that I had an anger problem. And that I had lust problems. And I had all these things and we had financial issues and we carried all these things into our relationship and our marriage that set it on, on horribly rocky ground. And we did not build our foundation the right way. So for years, for years, the first several years of our marriage, we would be up till two or three o'clock at night in the morning just crying out to God and she'd be on her knees just weeping. And I'm holding her saying, man, what is happening? This is not what I signed on for. This is not what I thought marriage would look like. And yes, we were going to church and involved, but we were absolutely broken and we kept inviting issues in and trying to cover over things and anger and resentment and all these things started to build it up in us where we couldn't even see each other anymore how God intended us to see each other. And she started battling depression and we had a, a daughter several years later and, and we'd go these bouts of we thinking that we're good, man, I think we're in a good spot in our relationship. And then she'd come to a point again where we'd both struggle and look at each other and be like, I don't even know if I love you. I don't even know if I want to be here in this relationship anymore. And it was so painful. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of times till three o'clock in the morning trying to figure out how can we do this, God? 
and we went through counseling and we got in the Genesis process and we did all these different things. And, and one of uh, this isn't a gimmick at all. I see this right from my heart. One of the biggest factors and biggest reasons that we're still married and that we celebrate 14 years of marriage next month is because of coming together with God's people and worshiping our way through our garbage. so many times where neither one of us wanted to get out of bed because you're struggling with depression and I have anxiety and I have all this guilt and now I have a daughter and I have guilt because I still have shameful or lustful thoughts and all that and just, ah! And God would literally pick us up by the spirit and say, get to my people, connect with them, worship me, I am enough to cover this. And not only would we go there sometimes, but, but we, man, it's so hard when you're struggling with this life stuff. If you ever see me get emotional, like singing a song or whatever, it's not because I'm a crier. It's because I've lived my life here in front of, like trying to lead when I'm broken half the time. But it's by the grace of God that we all move forward in this together. And that's why it's so powerful. I'm so grateful that God, through people like, I mean, Thad recently, I knew Thad years ago, and he helped me through rough times. And when things are totally broken at home, that go and connect with God's people. And we get on our face in worship. There's times where we couldn't even say one word. We couldn't sing a song. We had nothing to give, but we were there still trying to worship God because he's good, and he, when we knew he had the words of life. Where else could we go? And he started to piece us back together. And he used songs, like, like I was mentioning before. And man, when you sing songs like, you are faithful, God, you are faithful. And I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. You can't sing stuff like that week in and week out and not have it impact you. And it radically transformed and healed our marriage. And I am eternally grateful to God for that. And it isn't because we stepped up and we did music or whatever. It's because we chose in those moments to worship our way through trial and struggle and heartache. And we chose to say, man, God, I want to know more about you. This and this and brokenness and on our knees was us crying out saying, God, I have faith. Show me how big you are. Show me more about your character. Teach me what I don't know right now. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to walk through this. I want to invite the band up, and we're going to actually respond, and we're going to worship God and celebrate on the end of the service. And I just encourage you, as we're talking about all this, and we're working through what does worship look like in the spirit and all the, just the practical dynamics and components of it, this is what I encourage you. It's all about being closely connected to our God, to our Lord and Savior. I love the passage that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But you could interject so many different things there. You could say, the heart sings, the heart bows, the heart raises his hands, the heart does the, all of these things because he is good. And because his character, he's proven himself faithful and he is God and we are not. And he is worth responding to. We want to end and close this time with just doing that, with giving us all a chance to stand up. So if you stand with us, we actually want to sing about how great our God is. Not because I'm trying to end in the right way or whatever. Man, our God is great. Is he not? Amen.
We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.